0: BLOB TALK RADIO
1: to the Rifleman Radio Show on Appleseed Radio. The Rifleman Radio Show is brought to you by the Appleseed Project, which is the sole project of the Revolutionary War Veterans Association. And what is the Revolutionary War Veterans Association? Because the first time I heard about it, I thought it was uh, a bunch of guys in frilly shirts uh, prancing around in Tights and uh, tri-cornered hats, and uh, and that's not at all what it is. The Revolutionary War Veterans Association is dedicated to bringing you the absolute best fundamentals of rifle marksmanship uh, clinics in the United States today. The absolute best, and while we do that, we talk to you about what it means to be an American you know you're not an american because somebody has filled in uh your name on a on a document that might make you a legal citizen but it doesn't make you an american you're an american when you realize and accept that you have a sacred obligation to safeguard the freedoms and liberties
0: that living in this
1: nation affords you, and that it's also your obligation to honor those who gave this to you. Honor the men and women who stood together in ranks on April 19, 1775, so that you wouldn't have to. And how do we honor someone? We remember them. You remember the things that they did, the things that they said, and we try and keep the faith with the ideas uh, that those men and women had, the ideas and the, the notions of freedom and liberty that those folks had. And that's what we do. We teach the absolute best two-day rifle marksmanship clinic in the nation, and we honor the men and women who made it possible for us to have this nation, who made it possible for us to have the freedoms and liberties that living in this nation affords us. <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago, we—I
0: uh, read some of the letters
1: to you uh, from a book, from one of the books that I've been reading. It's called the. Spirit of 76 by Commodore and Morris. And they're the editors of the book. They didn't write the book. The book was written by uh, by thousands of men and women who lived during the American Revolution. They got all the letters together and put them in uh, chronological and subject order and
2: you can read
1: all the history that you want to and the history is it is uh, it's looked at in a lot of different ways and I'm not going I'm not going to uh I'm not going to talk to you right now about the time and relativity and history and uh and stuff like that uh suffice to say that that time and history is relevant to the observer. <clears throat> so, whenever you read about history, you can read it all, uh, a history book that has all the facts put together and uh, set in chronological order, and uh, and gives a good discussion of the of the history of the American Revolution. But but uh, that doesn't do the same as that's not the same as reading the words from the person who was there experiencing it now the difference between the two is going to be that <clears throat> the writer of history in modern times has the ability to to look at a situation from all different pers- from from many perspectives and uh, write a comprehensive Report on it, whereas the observer at that time was, is only going to be able to write about the things that they themselves saw or heard. So you're getting that one view. So that's one of the things I would remind you to think about whenever you're when, in the, when you're hearing these letters. Is that the person writing the letter is is not the omniscient author of uh, a modern history tale. They're simply telling you what they're seeing, what they're hearing, what they're thinking, right then and at that time, <clears throat> and uh, and that too is a very uh, informative, a very important aspect of things. Because, like I said, whenever you when there is uh, some type of a major event going on, uh, especially if it's something uh, uh, of such import as the American Revolution was at the time. <clears throat> you're going to get, uh, you're going to get a huge uh, amount of thoughts on what is being done, what should be done, what has been done, and the the ideas are going to be as varied as the as the people who would be willing to write them down. And uh, and like I said, I find that. Uh, very interesting. It gives you a much more insight into the individual characters. While it may not, while reading it, uh, a few letters, may not give you uh, the information overall. It will certainly give you a great deal of insight into that particular person's view of what's going on at the time, <clears throat> and uh, and that makes the individuals who participated in the American Revolutionary War. It makes them come more alive because you can you can start to see that each and every person there, they are truly an individual. They're, the, the people who got together to, to fight for American freedoms and liberties, they did not by any means all have the same idea about how to do it, why to do it, uh, why it should be done, uh, or how it should be done by any means. Everybody had different ideas about uh, about every single aspect of the war, and uh, and like I said, this is a great way to dig into that and uh, and see how they how they're responding to it. <clears throat> uh, I've got. Uh, We've got the summer coming up, and we want to make sure that that uh, that we continue to drive on. I know that summer is a very busy time. Everybody, most of the folks I know in Appleseed have families, and uh, and you have family things that you have to do, and you have uh, vacations, and on and on. Uh, but I want to uh, I want to ask that everybody keeps a Keeps their head in the game and uh, keeps pushing uh, uh, with the program, keeping it on. Mark through the summer. All right, uh, all right. There's another thing. I just got a, uh, a letter. To the forum talking about uh forum moderators and uh I believe the author of the letter was techrus uh I see you that you're in the chat room if you'd like to uh, call in and explain uh, the program that would be great uh uh my idea is uh i guess uh, my question would be. Is uh, are we really in that much need of a special moderator program? Because uh, it seems like most of the boards are already moderated, and uh, uh, I don't know that uh, I don't know that there's that much grief there. I, I guess I could be wrong, but if I am, then go ahead and get call in and. Uh, and let me know what the uh what the program is designed to do, how it's designed to help, etc. Uh and the reason I say this is because <clears throat> uh I've uh, I've seen many times I've seen uh when you create a group that's supposed to do something Especially if it's something that has uh, any kind of a smack of censorship or something about it, then uh, then uh, sometimes I don't think the folks know where to draw the line. So, and I've seen this on. uh, I tell you who the worst folks are uh, on this are some of the really uh, liberal forums. You know, I'm not going to mention any particular names, but. one of my jobs early on was to uh, scout through the different uh, the different forums available on the internet and plant seeds, become members, and stuff like that. Plant seeds of uh, uh, apple seed, and uh, and I'm telling you that the absolute worst cases I saw of censorship were in the highly uh, liberal forums i mean you say you say absolutely anything that they are that is not towing the party line and they will strip it out and uh, i guess that's what my fear would be is that uh, you know anytime you create a a group to do some type of a job like that uh, and if there's not enough if they if if they're not being if they don't have a full-time job already then they start looking for things to do. They start looking for things to uh, to validate their position, right? You know. So if there are not enough things that uh, that look like they need to be censored, then they can they get the things that they think might might be second or third or fourth cousins of things that need to be censored, and then censor them. So <clears throat> so anyway. Uh if uh, anybody has any information on that, then I'll be glad to get that on the air in just a minute. Also, uh, I believe I put this in the the post. I don't think I put it in the, the mail-out that I did. But I want to remind you guys that one of the things that we want to do on the radio station is make sure that we get out the the congratulations... Two folks, uh, who've been doing a good job. And, uh, I believe there were, uh, two or 300 folks last week listening. And, uh, I must have talked about it for, for all together for about 10 minutes. And, you know, I don't think anybody called in to congratulate somebody else, which is kind of sad because I know the quality of our, uh, of our instructors and members. And, uh, if there were uh, 300 people listening, then I should have immediately gotten 300 calls, right? Because I don't think there's a single person in this organization that does not know somebody who is doing a good job. Listen, if you want to call and shoot your own horn, I'll even take that. But uh, I do want to make sure that the folks that are doing a good job, that uh, we give them a pat on the back. And we do it on the forum, uh, I believe, at times. And... Uh, and that is good. But uh I want to thank everybody uh I want everybody to get a chance to thank everybody who's been doing a good job. And that uh and I I don't have any problems with uh with starting this off uh with giving praise to uh, uh Andrew and Lauren LaCrin. They're two of our Dallas instructors and uh, they have done a really Good job with putting together the uh, the lady seeds, uh, especially the ones with the the diva groups. And uh, and and while I'm talking to you about diva, I'm going to remind you again that if you would like to have a shoot and have it sold out, then you got a really good chance of doing that by contacting Judy Rhodes from the Diva Wow organization and working with her on setting up a Diva Wow slash Apple Seed uh, event in your state, a ladies-only event in your state. The Divas are a uh, a great group, and they've got a great promotions team, too. So uh, I... uh, I suggest you do that for your state. Now back to Andrew and Lauren. Uh they've done a great job with uh the lady seats. They've done a great job with bringing on new events and new locations. So they're always working. At the same time Lauren is uh is beginning her uh uh competitive shooting career right now. Now they've both been shooting uh, uh besides the Apple Seat. They've been shooting uh, cowboy action and uh uh, other stuff, uh, along with uh, Andrew, who does uh, he does his Karate Man stuff, and uh, Lauren is now doing the High Power, and uh, they got some matches coming up at Camp Swift, and they've been uh, sucking in all the rest of the Texas instructors. Uh, I saw this last week. I don't know how many teams we have now going to the uh, to Camp Swift to participate, but I believe there's at least two, if not four, three man teams that we're sending together as Appleseed teams, uh, individual Appleseed teams, to the Camp Swift matches. And uh, I believe that uh, Lauren will be at the uh, uh, Camp Perry matches. And I think I talked to you guys last week about the uh, national defense match that's going to be introduced at uh, Camp Perry. Anyway, those are the guys I would like to thank this week. Now, if you have some folks that you would like to thank, then... uh, I would suggest that you do so. All right, doesn't hurt to. Uh, it, it never costs you a dime, right? To unless you're paying for long distance, but but even then, what is it? It's ten cents a minute. You can get your congratulations out in a minute. And I don't know if I don't know of a single appleseed instructor that I wouldn't that, that I wouldn't right now pay ten cents for, right? <laughs> so, uh, so every time you think about it, if you're listening to the show. Go ahead and call in, and let's mention the names of the of the individuals or the crews that you have, and let's tell them thank you. And we can do that. You can call 347-308-8790. All right. Uh, I asked Techris to call in just a few minutes ago, and he did. Techris, welcome to the show.
0: Evening, Scout.
1: How are you doing?
0: We're doing pretty good. Uh, it's starting to warm up. It's starting to feel like Texas up here.
1: Uh, are you sure about that? Well, we've, we've been we have
0: dry heat up here. Okay, so you say you do have a dry heat? No, not exactly. We're we're getting there, but it's it's it, we're finally the wind stopped knocking down everything around us. So uh, we're doing a lot better that way, at least.
1: We're still in a heavy wind here. We've had uh, I would say if you average it out since uh January it probably would average out to about uh twenty five miles an hour every day because uh because we've had i would say at least thirty days of uh thirty five to forty five miles an hour and uh the heat right now it's not that bad, but it's hovering at about uh, i would say it runs between uh, ninety five and hundred and two uh every day and the the only thing that makes it bearable right now is the wind but I can tell you from a great deal of experience that in just a couple of weeks the heat will be the same and and there you can drop a feather uh and land it on the head of a pin because there won't be a bit of wind uh and that'll go on for about uh 5 weeks so <clears throat> but uh what about the rain did you guys uh Catch any of the rain that was going through the uh, the lower Midwest?
0: Oh yeah, we we caught a great deal of rain and up you know uprooted trees and we lost some farms for tornadoes. It, it was uh, it was a couple weeks of of uh, bad, not as bad as someplace got it, but it, it was still bad for some people. So well,
1: there's a there's a site uh, and I can't think of it right now, but. It was just, it was tearing my heart out and making me proud at the same time. There was a site that was showing the flood damage uh, throughout the Midwest, and it was showing the individuals uh, and families who had said, uh, all right, there's a flood, but I'm not leaving, and it's not taking my house. And... uh there were literally hundreds of homes and farms where they had built uh, dikes and levees around them. So here's the, it looks like there's a house sitting in the middle of the ocean, and uh, and the folks are there just uh, manning the pumps and everything else. So and I don't know how bad it is and uh, how bad that affected uh, the parts of your state, but uh, I know that we've had a lot of rough weather.
0: I saw those same pictures, and and every time I looked at them, you know, after a few minutes, I kept thinking, you know, the distance from one side of that yard to the other side of that yard is greater than 82 feet. Hmm. That bird's (laughs) pretty tall, too. Hmm. Right. Right. Yes. We didn't get that. We didn't get that. Uh, You'd asked a question about the the moderator team that we were putting together, and uh, it, it sounds more ominous that it is here's here's the gist of it in a nutshell um, Scott you've been around a long time right
1: since the, yeah. the way
0: early days you remember the first form don't you
1: oh yeah and it was just all
0: over the place and what we have now is uh, so much better than what we had um, in the early days and it is self-moderating To so much of a point that we barely need anything, which is why um, what we're putting together is really small. What we mainly need is to help, you know, every year 50% of the people in our program are brand new.
1: And as they come in, they're
0: used to other kinds of forms. They're used to forms where it's all chatter and not a lot of work. And mainly what the moderator team will be there for is to help guide the new people as they come in, get settled into a different kind of forum, and just keep everybody kind of on track and not wandering off. It's not much work, which is great. And, uh, you know, we'll be able to, you know, hand a couple, handful of people and say just keep an eye on things. And then, you know, my plan is to wander off and let them do their magic and it probably will be very little when we get the actual guidelines put together we're going to put those up for the uh uh the uh the review for comment like we've done things before and everybody will see what what the general idea is um but what we were looking for is just some people who are on pretty regularly and and who would uh make good moderators and uh it's mostly for the non state forums because the states pretty much self regulate just fine. And that's that's the crux of it. It helps the new people get used to a working forum as opposed to you know, your standard internet form. And uh, you know, just keep things from wandering off the ro- reservation, which doesn't happen often, but it's nice to have some people who, you know, are assigned the task to keep an eye on things. Does okay. that make sense?
1: Yeah, but, uh, and most of these people are people who already have all sorts of other jobs. But, uh, that sounds okay, but the, my worries were that, uh, well, I, I I explained them that uh, that a lot of times when you give uh, if you give somebody a job like that, then uh, then uh, any, every type of uh, anytime you ever have any type of a. Any type of a uh, group or a uh, uh, any type of a, uh, a setup, where you have somebody who has authority. Then uh, they have to to validate their job, validate their authority by by proving that they are are, are doing their job. And uh, you know, that's the only thing that worries me sometimes is some is folks uh, feeling like they have to do something like that. I'm. Uh, because I have been on the the forum so long, I'm I'm listed as a moderator on uh, on uh, probably seventy five percent of the boards, and uh, so I get a I'll get a copy anytime anybody uh, reports a post, you know that has uh, that, that they have grief with, and uh, and it's generally uh, it's generally taken care of. Uh, immediately, and uh, and the actual number of reported posts has really gone down over the last few years. So that was my question: was why it, why it seemed that if the if the problems we were having were going down, then then why were we needing something new?
0: And well, uh, you've you that. Part of the idea was we have a list of people who are, who are assigned as moderators right now, with a huge number of people who aren't, you know, really on the forum anymore, and then part of this came out because, you know, Fred asked the question, why are we bugging people every time there's a problem, why do all these get people get these, these messages when we can take, you know, two-thirds of these people, you know, or whatever you know, aren't really even, uh, wanting to be involved anymore, in, well, we need to clean up the list, Was was part of what we were doing, and then if we can take just a handful of people, uh, who are left and say, yeah, this, you know, everybody, so many people are on that list that everybody kind of has that job and kind of nobody really pays much attention to it, and if we can just say, yeah, you know, you three people are, are in the store or whatever, and so be. It. it's kind of like when, uh, you know, when, when you cleared the line, it's time for the uh, the shooters to all go up and check their targets and score their targets. And every instructor on the planet wants to head forward. you, you got to make sure you have that one instructor who stays back at the line. And that's kind of what we're doing, is we're trying to make sure we have, you know, a, a real understanding of who that, that person is and stand back to mind the door.
1: Right. Well, the, the other side of that is it... <clears> that is that you, if you say you're going to take all the the people off the list? Then
0: no. no you then the understand. essence
1: of that too is what you're doing is you're saying, okay, uh, nobody else has to worry about the safety of the line except these two guys here, and so all the rest of the instructors they don't longer worry about it. You understand know what I'm saying? I get what you're
0: saying. What I what I was heading for is there are people who are moderators that don't even they haven't been on the forum in six months. That's what I'm getting at. I mean we have we have we have a list of moderators like you can't believe. And um that was part of it. It it's uh on a list of things it's, it's not that big a deal and it's not that big a team and it and I it didn't mean for my PM to sound ominous. It was uh it was more like, hey, we're we're trying to codify this and figure out who to hand this to so that the rest of us can, you know, go do other
1: things. Right. Well, while we were on steering, while the, the steering was uh uh was working the program for the first couple of years, we had one of the members that would regularly go over to the members list and uh if somebody hadn't been on the forum in 6 months or something, he would just uh, he would delete everybody who hadn't been on. And
2: uh, <laughs> you know, there right. would be
1: hundreds and hundreds of folks, you know, at times. And you know, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't jump up and down and yell. But at the same time, I didn't understand it because here's the problem with that: is that uh, you know you have folks who uh, uh, you have folks that uh, in the program, there's it's an all-volunteer program, and they do stuff, and then they they may drift away for a little while, but then they come back, and if you have if you set a block in between them uh, being able to come back by deleting their account or whatever, then, uh, you know, then sometimes that's all it takes, you know. Uh, not oh, that they're not really motivated. More. That,
0: that's a bad idea. That's a really bad idea. All
1: right. All right. Well, you you explained it, and it does not sound ominous. You, you have... Uh, you have quelled all of my fears almost uh you've quelled That's all the fears my, and,
0: and just so you know i'm just assembling the team and then i'm handing over the keys and i'm walking away it's their show not mine i've
1: i've got yeah yeah so uh, many that other things that, to that do. doesn't sound like a good idea either Tekra. i mean i mean i would say if you assemble the team then uh then uh, whoever assembles the team uh, kind of needs to uh, pay attention to what they're doing so that if they if they start going astray then they can quickly be asked to to go non astray. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh. I agree. And I and there they're you
0: know, that's that's why we have uh other people who will be doing that. That we've got Bill three and uh you know, I see true tenasty's on the forum so she's probably listening and whenever I turn around we we get her hooked for something, but um there'll be somebody minding the miners, and and, oh, and really their job is is not their job really is not going to be to come in and jump up and down and to pull stuff and to do uh the kind of things that people get very very upset about you know I get that that's not really what they're there for, and, and well,
1: not. The, the, I guess the in the beginning, you know, there was the other there was the other forum that was there for I don't know even know how long it was there for, but uh, uh, the last year and a half it started it started uh, disintegrating, but it was never it was never uh, meant to be uh, it, it was never meant to be anything different than what it was at the time, and then. Uh we came over and we started the new forum and uh let's see. I think there was just uh at one point there was just six of us and uh and so we started the new forum and then then for years one of the things we never did was uh we never deleted a post we never uh we never went inside of a post and took apart took a you know deleted parts of it or altered it or anything else all we ever did uh the the forum already has uh you know uh naughty language software and uh so if you try to write uh something naughty then uh it usually will delete that word and it just replaces it with something else like uh oh the f word uh will just appear as loved up in quotations you know stuff like that but uh the only thing that would ever be done was uh, if there was foul language that escaped the the naughty language software then that might be removed other than that uh, and and occasionally a thread would be locked occasionally but other than that uh the the everything uh, everything pretty much lay where it fell and uh, if a uh, post was too inflammatory then sometimes it would just be Move to a, uh, a more private area, but uh, I guess the thing that uh, that bothers me is when you have folks that go in and start modifying a post, uh, then then that's uh, you know that's kind of dangerous. So so I would just uh, I would certainly urge caution uh, in that. Couldn't agree more. We don't. We don't All right. Agree. Well, anybody you want to say thanks or uh, or uh, job well done to while you're on? Uh,
0: particularly, um, just because I see him uh, doing it regularly, uh, Hawk Haven. Uh, you know, he he's very quiet, and very few people see what he does. But uh, you know, unending amount of work from him, and uh, it's. Uh, he's pretty impressive what he has to do and he's about to take off for a little vacation which is nice and i hope he has a good time away from us getting a little relaxation so he can come back in and, and get more work done when he gets back
1: well let me second that one because uh i too am a uh am a huge fan of hog haven uh and his influence is just about everywhere he looks and uh and I would say the same thing for you. Let me give you a uh, a big thanks too while I'm on the air because uh, you're doing the same thing, Tech. You're you're uh, uh, your working uh, uh, as hard as anybody else out there. And uh, and if any of the rest of you guys want to uh, call in during the show tonight or any show night, and you want to tell somebody thanks, then that's a good thing to do. I'd like to hear. Uh, a lot of times, uh, as uh, as humans, as appleseed folks, we we think that people can read our minds. We think I think that Tekras already knows that I think he's a good guy, so I don't have to tell him, right? But that's <laughs> that's very seldom the actual case. The actual real life case is is people don't know what we're thinking. They don't know that we appreciate them, and. uh like I said, it doesn't ever cost you a penny to let them know. So, if you want to do that, we'll always take your calls at three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine zero. Well, do you have anything else that you want to get out, uh, Techris?
0: Uh, I will say this: we had a, we had a really interesting weekend this last weekend. We uh, we did sort of a father daughter shoot where uh, at Riley we were had extra space on the line so. Uh, Most of the daddy instructors brought their daughters with them, and uh, it was uh, very, very uh, fun and very interesting, and my nine-year-old got her first chance to come out, and, uh, you know, nine-year-olds being what they are, they have no problem uh, heckling you during IMC. So, uh, (laughs) it was different. (laughs) I'm going to jump off now, and I'd love to listen to some letters. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to jump off the line now.
1: All right, thank you very much for calling in Thanks. and uh, and clearing up uh, uh, and explaining further explaining the moderator things, Techris. And you're always welcome. All right, uh, we're going to get to the letters now, and uh, I, I told you a few minutes ago, folks, that uh, I love reading these letters. I've got. Uh, I actually have several books now that I go back and forth through them with about there's probably about 5000 <clears> letters in the books and uh, and they're from uh, they're from everyone you can think of and they're they're from both sides too they're not just from the uh from the colonists from the uh, North Americans they're also from the from the British from the Belgian from the German the Dutch uh the Spanish the French on and on all the folks that who were affected, who had uh, who had some stakes in this event, <clears throat> and it was truly the first world war that was fought on this planet. And uh, what we're going to start with tonight is uh, I'm going to start with an account by John Adams, and he wrote this to uh, William Barrell about the April 19th events. And then right after that, I'm going to follow that up with uh, General Gage's letter to Lord Barrington, who was the Secretary of War there. And uh, these two letters were writ- written three days apart. And uh, and as I said earlier, too, that if anyone, if any of you guys have any letters uh, about the American Revolution uh, concerning the revolution, the American Revolution, you would like to get on the air. You're welcome to call in and read them. I'll make some space for you to read them. All right. John Adams to William Barrell, April 19, 1775. Yesterday produced a scene the most shocking New England ever beheld. Last Saturday p.m., orders were sent to the several regiments quartered here not to let their grenadiers or light infantry do any duty till further orders, upon which the inhabitants conjectured ...that some secret expedition was afoot. And being on the lookout, they observed those bodies upon the move... ...between 10 and 11 o'clock the evening before last. Observing a perfect silence in their march... ...towards a point opposite Phipps Farm... ...where, in parentheses, boats, question mark... ...were in waiting that conveyed them over. The men appointed to alarm the country upon such occasions... ...got over by stealth as early as they could and took their different routes. The first advice we had was about 8 o'clock in the morning when it was reported that the troops had fired upon and killed five men in Lexington, previous to which an officer came express to His Excellency Governor gauge when between 8 and 9 o'clock a brigade marched out under the command of Earl Percy, consisting of the Marines, the Welch Fusiliers, the 4th Regiment, the 47th, and two field pieces. About 12 o'clock, it was gave out by the general's aide de camps that no person was killed and that a single gun had not been fired, which report was variously believed, but between 1 and 2, certain accounts came that 8 were killed outright and 14 wounded of the inhabitants of Lexington. Uh, let me take a break for one moment. uh, we got brand-new puppies here. Between one and two, certain amounts came that eight were killed outright and 14 wounded of the inhabitants of Lexington, who had about 40 men drawn out early in the morning near the meeting house to exercise. The party of the Light Infantry and Grenadiers, to the number of about 800, came up to them and ordered them to disperse. The commander of them replied that they were only innocently amusing themselves with exercise, that they had not any ammunition with them and therefore should not molest or disturb them. Which answer, not satisfying, the troops fired upon and killed three or four. The others took to their heels and the troops continued to fire. A few took refuge in the meeting. When the soldiers showed up, the windows and pointed their guns in and killed three there. Thus, much is best account I can learn of the beginning of this fatal day. You must naturally suppose that such a peace would rouse the country, allowing the tr- report to be true. The troops continued their march to Concord, entered the town, and refreshed themselves in the meeting and townhouse. In the later place, they found some ammunition and stores belonging to the count to the country which they found they could not bring away by reason that the country people had occupied all the posts around them. They therefore set fire to the house, which the people extinguished. They set fire a second time, which brought on a general engagement at about 11 o'clock. The troops took two pieces of cannon from the peasants, but their numbers increasing, they soon regained them, and the troops were obliged to retreat towards town. About noon... They were joined by the other brigade under Earl Percy when another very warm engagement came on at Lexington, which the troops did with the bravery becoming British soldiers, but the country but the country were in a desperate manner, not regarding their cannon in the least, and followed them till seven in the evening, by which time they got into Charlestown when they left off the pursuit, lest they might injure the inhabitants. I stood upon the hills in town and saw the engagement very plain. It was very bloody for seven hours. It's conjectured that one half the soldiers at least were killed. The last brigade was sent over the ferry in the evening to secure their retreat, where they are this morning entrenching themselves upon Bunkers Hill to get a safe retreat to this town. It's impossible to learn any particulars as the communication between town and country is at present broken off. They were till 10 o'clock last night bringing over their wounded, several of which are since dead, two officers in particular. When I reflect and consider that the fight was between those whose parents but a few generations ago were brothers, I shudder at the thought, and there is no knowing where our calamities will end. This letter is is in the possession of the Massachusetts Historical Society. Now, as you can see, he, the accounts came, they were coming in from, like you said, in Concord that day, uh, went back and forth. Now, at first there was a report that uh, no one was killed, there was not a single gun that was fired. Then came in reports that uh, that a lot of folks had been sh- killed and wounded. Uh, you have the, the description where he's saying that... Uh, that the commander replied when they were ordered to disperse. The commander replied that they were only innocently amusing themselves with exercise and that they had not any ammunition with them and therefore should not molest or disturb them. Well, we know this. We know that from the accounts given by the men who were actually there that day that that's not the case. <clears throat> and uh, and then. The events at Concord where they said they, they set a house on fire, which the people extinguished, and they set a second house on fire, which brought on a general engagement. Now, that's not too far from the truth, right? They were actually burning the supplies there in the square when they set uh, the the town hall on fire, and the uh, the British regulars actually helped put it out. But it did bring on the general engagement because, as we know now, that, uh, that the folks who are watching – Saw the fire coming up from the town, and they said, Will you let them burn the town? And this spurred the uh this spurred the commanders at that time to to march their men toward the North Bridge at Concord. <clears throat> Alright, but that's that is what they knew that day. That's what they knew that day. Now this letter was written on the nineteenth. <clears throat> now, two days later, uh three days later, uh Thomas Gage Sends a letter to uh, Lord Barrington, the Secretary of War. Now, his letter is a much more spare letter. And of course, Gage wasn't there. Uh, by, by the 22nd, he should have had plenty of reports about it. And yet, here's what he wrote I have now nothing to trouble your lordship with, but of an affair that happened here on the 19th instant. I have intelligence of a large quantity of military stores being collected at Concord for the avowed purpose of supplying a body of troops to act in opposition to His Majesty's government. I got the Grenadiers and Light Infantry out of town under the command of Lieutenant Colonel Smith of the 10th Regiment and Major Pitcairn of the Marines with as much secrecy as possible on the 18th and night, and with orders to destroy the said military stores and supported them the next morning by eight companies of the 4th, the same number of the 23rd, 47th, ...and marines, under the command of Lord Percy. It appears from the firing of alarm guns and ringing of bells... ...that the march of Lieutenant Colonel Smith was discovered... ...and he was opposed by a body of men within six miles of Concord... ...some few of whom first began to fire on his advanced companies... ...which brought on a fire from the troops that dispersed the body opposed to them... ...and they proceeded to Concord... ...where they destroyed all the military stores they could find. On the return of the troops... They were attacked from all quarters where any cover was to be found, from whence it was practicable to annoy them. And they were so fatigued with their march that it was with difficulty they could keep out their flanking parties to remove the enemy at a distance, so that they were at length a good deal pressed. Lord Percy then arrived opportunely to their assistance with his brigade and two pieces of cannon. And notwithstanding a continual skirmish for the space of 15 miles, receiving fire from every hill, fence, house, barn, etc., his lordship kept the enemy off and brought the troops to Charlestown from whence they were ferried over to Boston. Too much praise cannot be given to Lord Percy for his remarkable activity and conduct during the whole day. Lieutenant Colonel Smith and Major Pitcairn did everything men could do as did all the officers in general, and the men behaved with their usual intrepidity. Well, there we go. That's what really happened, right? According to him, now, as I said, by the 22nd, he should have already received all of the intelligence, good and bad, uh, from the men who had actually been on the raid. So he knew what had really happened. Uh, And yet, we also know from reading about Gage and, uh, and, uh, in quite a few instances that he was perfectly capable of seeing simply the things he wanted to see. Uh, if there was something that that he wasn't particularly uh, happy about seeing, then he might just make it not exist in his mind. <clears throat> but that is what uh, he wrote to Lord Barrington, who was Secretary of War there in England. Now, we also know that that the colonists won the actual second battle uh, of Lexington Concord and Battle Road by virtue of the fact that they immediately got together depositions and then put together the Coffin Broadside and sent that out immediately. And then they took, uh, uh, well, I believe it was close to, uh, it may have been actually over 100 depositions uh, from people all along the way, from uh, continental officers, even from some uh, British regulars, bundled them all up, set them on a fast ship to England, where they were delivered to the uh, Lord Mayor of London, and uh, and they were printed. And so fast was the ship that even though it left, I believe it left, uh, uh, well, it may have been three to four days, uh, or up to a week after the uh, the formal report from Gage was sent to London, that it arrived there still several weeks before the official report from Gage. So the depositions, the uh, the report from the colonists were traveling the length and breadth of England weeks before General Gage's report got in. So they that allowed them to win uh, the. Uh, the actual second battle and gain a great deal uh, of mileage from this by way of uh, of getting their information there quicker <clears throat> now the next uh, the next letter i want to read to you is going to be from uh, general arnold <clears throat> and it's written to general schuler and he's going to talk about the battle of valcour bay before i do that let me let me talk to you real quick about this because I don't know if any of you guys—I'm uh, sure quite a few of you have—but for those of you who haven't, please take a few moments and read about the uh, the expedition to conquer Canada. Uh, <clears throat> it it is absolutely amazing uh, for many reasons. It the the difficulty that these men faced and the, the the obstacles they surmounted were absolutely fantastic uh and the the speed with which they traveled was fantastic too and they uh, they marched hundreds and hundreds of miles to attack the uh, fort in canada and they very nearly won it. They very nearly took it. However, they didn't, and they were forced to retreat. Now, I'm going to tell you this, too, is that <clears throat> this uh, this assault that was mounted, <clears throat> They they figured they could take their supplies and everything, uh, by raft and canoe, and they would just uh they would just pull them up river to canada <clears throat> and uh, you know that it wouldn't be that hard and it was it was tremendously hard uh and I'm not talking about just the going up because they went up and they came back now. There were many times where they went up, where they had to go past rapids, and then that meant that the boats couldn't be pulled past rapids. Now, first of all, let's 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 first of all talk about the fact that you're that you're pulling a craft against the flow of water upriver, and uh, and I've done this before. I've canoed upriver. I've I've taken a raft upriver. And I've portaged canoes and I've portaged rafts and and I've taken rafts down river and I've been to plenty of- uh, I've been to several places where i uh got out of the raft and was letting it go across or letting it go down rapids by holding on to a rope and and this is difficult going down river, let alone going up, but they did it. <clears throat> And then uh, when they came to rivers or uh, to rapids or areas where there was a uh, uh, a uh, a quick change in uh, elevation on the river, then they would have to portage. And even with just the canoes, that's rough because we're talking about carrying a big, heavy, wooden canoe, taking it out of the water, carrying it up the side of uh, uh, of a hill or even of a mountain to get to the other side of the rapids, and not only just the canoe, but you've got all the supplies that were in it, too. You've got to carry it all up there. Now, the rafts. Now, the rafts, you couldn't do this because they were too big and heavy. So what they had to do is they'd have to disassemble them. They'd have to take all the boards apart, take all the uh, the pieces of the raft apart, and then carry it piece by piece back up over the rapids and put it back together and keep going on, dragging it upriver, not not hopping on it and resting and carrying it, but dragging it up river, and listen uh it wasn't very warm at the time either uh, <clears throat> also <clears throat> once the uh the expedition to Canada was defeated once they were uh once they were heading back, <clears throat> they were being uh, pursued and and the uh, uh the pursuing the pursuing enemy had they been able to uh to capture and defeat them or even just uh even just continue the route then uh then general Burgoyne and uh uh the rest of the British regulars could have cut the colonies in half. They could have uh, it could have very easily ended the American Revolution right then and right there. But that's not the case and why? <clears throat> because uh General Arnold, Benedict Arnold, and this is before he before he made himself famous with his treachery <clears throat> because he fought uh, the pursuing army all along the way until he got to Lake like Lake Champlain when he got to Lake Champlain what did he do? he built a navy and we're talking about guys uh, who were out in the middle of the woods they get to Lake Champlain and he says you know what we're going to have to do? we're going to have to stop them uh, but he knew too that they They weren't going to travel over land because they were bringing boats with them, uh, even sailing ships. And they were going to sail. If they would have tried to stop them on land, they would have sailed right past them, sailed right past them, gotten behind them, and then cut the colonies in half. So what did Arnold do? He imported uh, shipbuilders and blacksmiths by the hundreds from the coastal areas and began building a navy. He actually, out there in the middle of the woods, they chopped down trees, they milled the lumber, and they built sailing ships and gondolas and gunboats. And I'm not talking about little ones either. I'm talking about uh, a couple of the biggest ones mounted 16 guns, 16 cannon. And we're talking about a fairly large sailing ship and uh, I think altogether, the Continentals uh, had almost 25 ships that they built. Uh, now, they were facing a uh, a vastly superior foe. The uh, British Navy and the British gunboats were all bigger, all uh, uh, bigger ships mounting many more guns, and there were a great deal more of them. But Arnold... His idea was he didn't have to win the war. What he had to do this was uh, uh, this was in the beginning of the fall. Uh, let's see, August, September, in September and October. All right. So once he started his shipbuilding, he started building the navy there. The British, instead of pressing on, and if they would have pressed on, they could very well have defeated. Arnold and his navy, and still crushed uh, crushed Arnold's force, and still made it to uh, uh, down the Hudson and split the colonies and ended the war. <clears throat> However, because Arnold did what he did, that caused the British to stop what they were doing <clears throat> and and begin building ships too. They were afraid they weren't going to have. Uh, Enough ships, and they weren't going to have uh, enough ships and good enough repair, so they stopped. All right, so now uh, almost a month and a half goes by while everybody's building ships. All right, so it's getting later and later in the season. All he has to do is stall them long enough for winter to set in, and he bought a whole year almost for the uh, for the colonists, and that's what he did. That's exactly what he did. The 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 timing of it, the amount of work that went into it was absolutely brilliant. And then to read of the the battles that were held there on Champlain and uh and like I said, we're not talking about John Paul Jones and two experienced uh 60-gun uh, frigates battling it out. We're talking about land soldiers who built these boats, and they they were built out of green wood, right? <clears throat> Which means they weren't, uh, they were leaky, all right? Because what you do is you build a ship out of seasoned wood, and it, it acts the same way as when you build a uh, a wine barrel or a whiskey barrel, right? You build it out of seasoned wood, build it tight with that seasoned wood, you expose it to water, to moisture, and it swells. When it swells, the, the ends that meet are soft, and under great pressure and they actually seal off all the leaks. That's what season wood. With greenwood it doesn't do that. So these bo- these ships were built and they tried to use pitch and tar to try and make them seaworthy, but they were still leaky. Leaky, heavy uh greenwood boats that didn't uh that didn't tr- uh tack well. And these guys did that they, they had a slug fest there on Lake Champlain, but he absolutely, to the minute, was able to stall the uh, British regular forces long enough so that, indeed, by the time that the British actually did win the Battle of Lake Champlain, by the time they had sunk the majority of the uh, of Arnold's uh, navy, uh, they sunk a great deal of it, and in most cases, they didn't have to sink it. They would, they would shoot the gondolas or the ships uh, full of holes to where they were just about to sink. But they were, they weren't out of sea. They were close, fairly close to land. So the minute that it looked like uh, the boat was about to sink, they would beach it. They would ground it. The people would jump off the boat, and then they would set it on fire and burn it, and burn all the stores in it. <clears throat> But he had worked it out with the timing so that he stalled this army until Winter had set in. Winter had set in, and uh, and not only did he save Ticonderoga, but he saved all of the colonies because, this, as I said, this army would have sliced the colonies in half, and uh, it would have very uh, quite possibly been the end of the war. Alright, so this is an account of General Arnold to General Shuler, and written from Shuler's Island, October 12, 1776. Dear General, yesterday morning at 8 o'clock, the enemy's fleet, consisting of one ship mounting 16 guns, one snow mounting the same number, one schooner of 14 guns, two of 12, two sloops, a bomb catch, and a large vessel with 15 or 20 flat-bottomed boats or gondolas carrying one, twelve or 18-pounder in their bows or peered off Cumberland Head. This wasn't the whole Navy. This was just the part that they were immediately engaging in. We immediately repaired to receive them. The galleys and Royal Savage were ordered underway. The rest of our fleet lay at anchor. At 11 o'clock, they ran under the lee of Valcour and began to attack. That's Valcour Island. The schooner, by some bad management, fell to leeward, ...and was first attacked. One of her masts was wounded and her rigging was shot away. The captain thought prudent to run her on the point of Valcour... ...where all the men were saved. They boarded her and at night set fire to her. At half past twelve the engagement became general and very warm. Some of the enemy's ships and all of our gondolas... ...beat and rode up to within musket shot of us. They continued a very hot fire with round and grape shot until 5 o'clock, when they thought proper to retire to about six or 700 yards distance and continued the fire until dark. The Congress and Washington, these are the two ships, two of these ships, have suffered greatly. The latter lost her first lieutenant killed, captor, captain and master wounded. The New York lost all of her officers except her captain. The Philadelphia was holed in so many places that she sank in about one hour after the engagement was over. The whole killed and wounded amounts to about 60. The enemy landed a large number of Indians on the island and each shore who kept an incessant fire on us, but did little damage. The enemy had, to appearance, upwards of 1,000 Indians in bateau, prepared for boarding. We suffered much for want of seamen and gunners. I was obliged myself. To point most of the guns on board the Congress, which I believe did good execution. The Congress received seven shot between wind and water, and was hauled a dozen times. Had her mainmast wounded in two places and her yard shot in one. The Washington was hauled in a number of times, her mainmast shot through, and she must have a new one to sail. Both vessels are very leaky and want repairing. On consulting with General Waterbury and Colonel Wigglesworth, it was thought prudent to return to Crown Point, every vessel's ammunition being nearly three-fourths spent. At 7 o'clock, Colonel Wigglesworth and the Trumbull got underway. The gondolas and small vessels followed, and the Congress and Washington brought up the rear. The enemy did not attempt to molest us. Most of the fleet is this minute come to anchor. The wind is small to the southward. The enemy's fleet is underway to leeward and beating up. As soon as our leaks are stopped, the whole fleet will make the utmost dispatch to Crown Point, where I beg you will send ammunition and your further orders for us. On the whole, I think we've had a very fortunate escape and have great reason to return our humble and hearty thanks to Almighty God for preserving and delivering so many of us from our more than savage enemies. All right, and this is uh a letter uh from the journal of Lieutenant James Haddon uh of the Royal Artillery about the fifth of october seventeen seventy six everything being ready, a fleet consisting of one ship, two schooners, one radar, one gondola, and twenty two gunboats proceeded fr- from St. John's up the Sorrel River to the entrance of Lake Champlain. At the Isle of No, 15 miles from St. John's. The 10th of October, the fleet proceeded to the southern end of Isle Almotte on the eastern side of Lake Champagne, which afterwards widens very considerably to about 12 to 15 miles abreast in many places. The 11th of October, the army arrived at Point Offir under General Burgoyne in the early morning. The fleet proceeded under General Carlton, Captain Pringle of the Navy. A large detachment of savages under major carlton also moved with the fleet in their canoes which were very roughly ranged these canoes are made of birch bark and some of them have been brought 1500 miles down the country several of which canoes contain up to 30 people the savages paddle them across the lakes and down the rivers with great dexterity and being very light they are carried across any breaks in the water communication They land every night, most of which they dance and sing. In wet weather, they prop up one side and lay under the canoe. About 11 o'clock this morning, one of the enemy's vessels was discovered and immediately pursued into a bay on the eastern shore of the lake where the rest of their fleet was found at anchor in the form of a crescent between Valcour Isle and the continent. Their fleet consisted of three-row galleries, Three row galleys, two schooners, two sloops, eight gondolas, uh, and an assorted number of bateaux, carrying in all 90 guns. That of the British, that of the British carried only 87 pieces of ordnance, including eight howitzers. The pursuit of this vessel was without order or regularity. The wind being fair to go down the lake enables us to overtake the vessel before she could, by tacking, get in to the rest of their fleet, but lost to us the opportunity of going in at the upper end of the island and attacking the whole fleet at once. The vessel, which proved to be the Royal Savage, which was taken by them from St. John's last year, carrying 14 guns, was run on shore, and most of the men escaped onto Valcourt Island, in effecting which they were fired upon by the gunboats. This firing at one object drew us all in a cluster, and four of the enemy's vessels getting underway to support the royal savage, fired upon the boats with success. An order was therefore given by the commanding officer for the boats to form across the bay. This was soon effected, though under the enemy's whole fire and unsupported. All the king's vessels, having dropped too far to leeward, this unequal combat was maintained for two hours without any aid when the Carlton, a schooner of 14 guns, and six pairs got into the bay and immediately received the enemy's whole fire, which was continued without intermission for about an hour when the boats of the fleet towed her off and left the gunboats to maintain their conflict. This was done till the boats had expended their ammunition
2: when they were then withdrawn.
1: The boats were now formed between the vessels of the British fleet just without the enemy's shot being withdrawn a little before sunset and the rural savage at this time blown up. This last was an unnecessary measure. She might at more leisure moment have been got off, or at all events her stores saved, and in her present position no use could be made of her by the enemy, night coming on in a determination to make a general attack early next morning. The rebels have no land force. The savages took post on the main in Valcour Island, thus being upon both flanks, were able to annoy them in the working of their guns. This had the effect of now and then obliging the rebels to turn a gun that way, which danger the savages avoided by getting behind the trees. The boats, having received a small supply of ammunition, were unaccountably ordered to anchor under cover of a small island without the opening of the bay. The enemy, finding their force diminished and the rest so severely handled by little more than one-third the British fleet, determined to withdraw towards Crown Point, and passing through our fleet about 10 o'clock at night, effected it undiscovered. This, the former position of the gunboats, would probably probably have prevented. All the enemy vessels used oars, and on this occasion they were muffled. This retreat did great honor to General Arnold, who acted as admiral to the rebel fleet on this occasion. The wind changing prevented the success of his attempt and making but little way in the night. They were scarcely out of sight when their retreat was discovered at daybreak. The British fleet stood after them and gained ground considerably till the violence of the wind and a great swell obliged both fleets to anchor. Towards evening, the weather was more moderate and the fleet proceeded. The boats, using their oars to make head against the wind, the rebel vessels, gaining little way when under sail from the violence of a contrary wind, and thinking we were at anchor, remained so all night. And though the British fleet gained but little by a contrary conduct, that little enabled them to overtake the enemy the next day when the wind did prove fair. Our ship and schooners, being better sailors, first came up with the rebel fleet and retarding their movements till the whole were in sight. Three of the sternmost vessels struck their colors, in one of which was General Brigadier General Waterbury, their second command. Arnold ran his own vessel and five others on shore and set fire to them. The three foremost only escaped to Ticonderoga, as did General Arnold with most of the crews of the burnt vessels. <coughs> All right, so... <clears throat> Although Arnold did not win the battle, he, in reality, he never intended to win it. He knew that there was no way he was going to win it. What he was doing was fighting what's called a retrograde action. That means he, he knows he's not going to win, but he's going to to fight to his advantage. He's going to fight to his advantage in order to stall the enemy. He knew that uh, winter was coming on, and that if he could stall Burgoyne and his forces until winter, then... He would he would stall the attack southward into the colonies. There's no there's no way it was going to be made in the winter, because there was no way to march through the winter through this terrain. If you guys have uh, for the folks that have been uh, in, in the areas of Canada and uh, 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 the Great Lakes, the uh, those areas there, there's uh, there's no way that you're going to march that area in the winter with the snow, especially with a great deal of uh, of lake effect snow that you're likely to get. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, so a great deal of uh, a great deal of respect is due, not just Arnold, but all his men, uh, because of the. Because of the battles that they fought there, because of the uh, the trials and tribulations that they went through in order to uh, to slow down the army to stop the army from from marching south into the colonies, now of course, arnold who who was the reason that battle after battle was won. Uh, And every time that that Arnold, at the head of uh, uh, colonial forces, engaged in a battle, uh, it was most generally a success and brought great honor to him. But as we also know, that his character, his fatal character flaw, caused him to become a traitor and betray himself and his nation when he tried to uh, sell West Point and they eventually went over to uh... the British side <clears throat> so all of the stuff that he did all of the absolutely tremendous uh... actions that he participated in and if you read the if you read these stories of the expedition to Canada, of the hardships and of the trials and tribulations that they went through you would be amazed, you would be absolutely amazed to think of groups of men uh, walking from uh, uh, walking from the United States to Canada, up ice-cold rivers, dragging rafts with them. There were no trails, there were no roads, taking these things apart, climbing up the side of the mountains with the rafts on their back. And doing this over and over and over past uh, almost 100 portages where they would have to do this. And then getting position and attacking uh, the British in Canada, almost winning, just just almost winning. And the only reason they didn't win was just due to the, the loss of their commander from a load of uh, grape shot in a cannon. And still fighting their way back and fighting this battle on uh, Lake Champlain. And uh, and all of that is gone. All of that is gone from Arnold because ultimately he betrayed himself and his nation. <clears throat> all right. <clears throat> uh, let me make sure that I'm checking the switchboard to see if... Uh, Anybody's calling in with any of the letters. Okay, if you do want to call in, if you have some letter that you would like to read, uh, or if you have questions about any of the, the letters that I'm reading or any about the uh, if about any of the events that we're covering as we're going through this, I'll be glad to do my best to answer them. You can call in at 347-308-8790. 347-308-8790. Just call in. Uh, the call screener will... We'll talk to you, and they'll find out what you want, your what your comment is, or your question, or anything, and we'll get you on the air. All right. And we're still accepting calls for folks that want to congratulate uh, or give uh, give credit to their folks. <clears throat> and I see uh, I see one guy in the uh, in the chat room. Who was talking about uh, the uh, that even today traveling the Arnold Trail, which is the uh, the marching route to Quebec, is quite an accomplishment. And that's uh, Rocky, Rocky Ha in the chat room. Listen, I completely agree with you, Rocky, because even even if you weren't uh, carrying, if you weren't dragging a raft up a river. Even if you weren't, they didn't have enough food either. <clears throat> they were uh, uh, they were on short rations. And uh, I believe at one point, even uh, when folks started getting sick, they started saying, look, uh, we can't afford to waste the food on these sick people. So the sick people only get uh, like third or quarter rations. So, And it, it, they didn't have a good understanding back then, of course, that if you're sick you need uh, just as much, if not more, or better nourishment than a healthy person, but they had no rations; they didn't have any food uh and they didn't have the clothes that they needed they were they were marching on to Quebec in the fall, <clears throat> and they were marching a great deal of time in water listen these were these were hardcore folks back then, and uh, and just like Rocky was saying, just marching the trail right now. Are just walking the trail in good uh, in heightened clothes, hiking boots, good uh, Gore-Tex stuff uh, with uh, with tasty vittles and stuff. I'm telling you that, that 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 is something. Who somebody who who came and said, "Look, I marched. Uh, I walked all the way the route that uh, uh, that uh, General Arnold's forces." took to Quebec. I marched I I hiked all the way up and back that route. People are gonna say, Wow man, man, you really did something, man. You hiked that many miles, you know? You're something. And yet yet he didn't hike it. The person that's being receiving these accolades didn't hike it uh barefooted in just a pair of pants and a blanket with no shirt, just a pair of pants and a blanket and uh, on short rations uh with no road no trail whatsoever and uh and having the enemies indians who were uh, the indians that were employed with the british uh fighting them along the way so there's a big difference there okay <clears throat> uh, it, when you start reading the history you're going to find you're going to find the these different sections of it that are that are absolutely amazing, and I think one of those sections that is amazing and that doesn't get the credit that it's due is Arnold's uh, his expedition to Quebec. Even though it was a fa- even though it was a failure as far as it did not they did not take Quebec, they did not defeat the uh, the Canadian the British there. They did stop. The uh, southward thrust, and they did stop the uh, the attack on the colonies. <clears throat> and when you start reading in detail about the hardships they they faced, you certainly gain uh, a new respect for for the the men and women who answered the challenge uh, to defend the rights and liberties of the colonists. All right now, as you know, there's another one that uh, <clears throat> that I'm very fond of, and that is the the battles of Princeton and Trenton. <coughs> and this was <clears throat> uh, this was occurring a uh, uh, a little while after the uh, the. Battle at Champlain, and I consider, now they consider the Battle at Champlain, uh, at Valcour Bay, they consider that to be one of the times that America was saved, and I told you, I read a book a couple of years ago, matter of fact, I gave it to Fred at, uh, at Ramsar back at, uh, in, uh, Oh, 2007, I think, and uh, it was called almost a miracle. And uh, I'm reading it again now. I happened to see it at the library, and I grabbed it again. I'm reading it again because it was it was such an enjoyable story, and it details the American Revolution from beginning to end. And what you see, what you see over and over and over again is that time after time time after time but the because of uh, of numbers of things because of the way that uh, battles were fought because of uh of different things that happened because of the fact that the moon rose in a different position than it should have been in and this is recorded Uh, not just by uh, Paul Revere Uh, this is recorded by a great number of folks that the moon rose in a different location the night that uh, Revere rode across the bay and because of where the moon rose it placed him in the shadow it placed him in the shadows of the ship so and why did that happen? Why did the moon rise? Why was it a different moon rise that night? Time and again, those things happen over and over. Battles that, uh, that the colonials should not have won, they won. Defeats that they suffered, which should have been total defeats, where they should have been completely routed and destroyed, they weren't. Over and over. It's not just a few. It's over and over. So you have to ask yourself, why? Why did that happen? Why was it almost a miracle? As a matter of fact, I don't know, I, you can take the word almost out. It was a miracle that we succeeded in gaining our independence, that this nation was born. All right, so if that's the case, if that's the case, then it wasn't just by accident. Now I'm not going to to do any kind of preaching to you. Every man's faith is his own. But I'm going to tell you this is that uh, if you read this book, and you don't even have to read this book, you can read other books, and just uh, keep this in your head. If if it was such, uh, if we gained this nation. And we shouldn't have because uh, because of so many times where we should have been beaten and we weren't. Then what does that mean? I'll tell you what I think it means. I think it means that we have something special that we are meant to do. Now, we've been doing it for 230 years, too, you know we are a completely unique nation. Ipurbus Unum. Out of the many are one. Out of all the countries, out of all the people that came to America from all the different nations, they arrived on the shores from all the different nations, and out of all those arrivals, Came one people, Americans. Now I'm not going to try and tell you that everything we do is right. All right, we nobody does everything right, but I think we do a really good job of what of what we do, and I think we could do a better job if we really concentrated on it if we all got involved a little bit more and tried to make sure that that our nation was doing the right thing. Alright? And that's one of the things that we that we're gonna to talk to you about at an appleseed event. <clears throat> Alright, and when we get to the end of seventeen seventy six and you find that the army, for all intents and purposes, is is almost uh, non-existent. There are only a couple of thousand men left uh, out of two million. There's only a couple of thousand, uh, a few thousand men that are in any shape, any position to do anything. Now, also add to that that... The British, when they invaded and occupied the uh, New Jersey, that they did what almost every army is good at doing, and that is they made everybody angry. And occupying an army of occupation is a bad news situation. All right, they're gonna—it's guaranteed. I don't care who you are, how good your intentions are—it's uh, guaranteed. You are going to make people mad. Not this. That's in the best of cases. And and the British regulars occupying the Jerseys were not the best of cases. Uh, they were pillaging, and raping, and burning, and looting, and killing, pretty much indiscriminately. So when you when they first arrived in in the Jerseys, there was. Uh, they had a great deal, an overwhelming amount of popular support, and the folks who weren't actively supporting them, they were in the minority, and they were coming in by droves to sign the uh, amnesty papers. You know, they said, "Look, it's it's not worth it. I'm going to come in. I'm going to sign the amnesty papers. I'm going to uh, even if I'm not going to give active support to the British regulars. I, I'm going to. I'm certainly not going to oppose them." And the folks, uh, the loyalists there, were they were shouting their hurrahs. But then the army of occupation, they had to have supplies, and they were co- they were told to go out and take some, get the supplies they needed. Now they were told to get them from the uh, uh, from rebel farms. Uh, but we're talking about a group of British regulars that. They're foreign troops. They don't know who is who is loyal and who is not. And, and most of the time, they didn't really care. Uh, they were looting and raping and burning, and pretty soon they had wildly worn out their welcome there. All right. <clears throat> so you have this going on in the jerseys. At the same time, you have the outposts that were left by... Uh, the regulars they were stretched out uh uh pretty thin and the the farthest outposts were manned by the uh german mercenaries by the hessians this was a case at trenton now you have a a situation where washington's army which was down to about uh, 2800 at this point the majority of them were scheduled for their service contracts to end on january one he was going to lose the greatest portion of his army not through sickness or death in battle their conscriptions were going to expire their enlistments were going to expire and they're going to walk away and uh... this was the case in uh... almost every volunteer unit back then that uh when their terms of enlistment came up they left they uh i'm sure that they had a great deal of uh of patriotism and a great deal of, of desire to see their their country uh free but many of them too uh were had uh families at home and they wanted to they wanted to go home and make sure that their families were okay. Get their uh, get their
0: uh, their hay
1: in for the livestock. Make sure that they had firewood and uh, and food for their families. <clears throat> so when their enlistments came up, they were going to leave. They had just had several battles. They had not gone well for them. They had been pushed all the way. Uh, out of the new jersey's into and in, across the delaware and winter was setting on and the enlistments were set to end and nobody had been paid and there was no food no winter clothing it was about as bleak as you could get and and it was at this time it was decided look <clears throat> something is going to have to be done something some way somehow we're going to have to figure out some way to pull something good out of this or we're done for this is over now washington of course had it in his mind that uh you know that uh, if they if they were beaten no matter how many times they were beaten that they would just keep pulling back westward keep retreating across the mountains and that, you know, that they would fight forever or until he died. And that's the way Washington saw it. And the British did not understand how vast a country the Americas were. When they thought of the Americas, they didn't, you got to remember, they didn't have a, an atlas they could look at. They didn't know how big America was. Nobody knew. They n- Nobody had any kind of an idea until uh, almost uh, a decade or two decades later. Did they have any kind of an idea, even remotely, how big this nation was? So they didn't know what a uh, what a job they were taking on. And Washington, as I said, always had in his mind that, uh, that they would continue to, if, if need be, they would continue to pull back to the West across the mountains, and they would fight uh, a guerrilla war for however long it took, in order to force the uh the british regulars out but but that was not the ideal situation the ideal situation was to do the opposite and that is to win some battles to gain momentum to uh because back then just like now it's uh people people don't jump on the boat when it's sinking all right that's just not human nature Alright, when the boat's sinking they're they're scuttling off, they're they're scurrying away. Uh you know, we have the analogy with the Titanic and I talk to folks about are you willing to are you willing to stand in that water waist that cold water waist deep and bail? Are you willing to bail when it gets up to your chest, up to your neck, up to your chin, up to your nose, and keep bailing? Not knowing if you're gonna do any good or not, okay? that is not the that is not the nature of most people most people when they can feel the water in the bottom of their shoes they say it's time to get off the boat now and they do so <clears throat> in order for you to in order for Washington to be able to to be able to get new volunteers to get other people to jump on the boat He had to show some victory, some forward momentum. He needed a win in the worst way. And finally, in December, uh, it was decided that, look, uh, even he took a big gamble with the attack on Trenton, crossing the Delaware in winter. But the gamble was this. We're either going to win or we're going to lose and there's no downside to it as far as we're going to we're going to be losing anyway even if we even if we sit here and do nothing we're still losing we're going to lose <clears throat> and yet we have a chance to gain something to pull something out of this if we win so the decision was made to uh to attack Trenton All right, the uh, the letter I'm going to read now is from Henry Knox to his wife. Knox was uh, the colonel of artillery, and uh, Knox, along with Green, were the only two were two of the only folks that stayed with Washington throughout the entire war. Green, General Green, being the only general officer that stayed throughout the war. Knox was there the whole way, but he was a colonel in the beginning. He was only promoted to general a little bit later. But those were the only two generals uh, that uh, that were with Washington from when it began until the end. <clears throat> All right, and this is a letter from Henry Knox to his wife, and he wrote it uh, on the banks of the Delaware River near Trenton, December 28, 1776. Trenton is an open town, situated nearly on the banks of the Delaware. Accessible on all sides, our army was scattered along the river for nearly 25 miles. Our intelligence agreed that the force of the enemy in Trenton was from two to 3,000, with about six field cannon, and that they were pretty secure in their situation, and that they were Hessians, not British troops. A hearty design was formed of attacking the town by storm, Accordingly, a part of the army consisting of about 2,500 or 3,000 passed the river on Christmas night with almost infinite difficulty, with 18 field pieces. The floating ice in the river made the labor almost incredible. However, perseverance accomplished what at first seemed impossible. About 2 o'clock, the troops were all on the Jersey side. We then were about 9 miles from the object. The night was cold and stormy. It hailed with great violence. The troops marched with the most profound silence and good order. They arrived by two routes at the same time, about half an hour after daylight, within one mile of the town. The storm continued with great violence, but was in our backs and consequently in the faces of our enemy. About half a mile from the town was an advanced guard on each road consisting of a captain's guard. These we forced, and entered the town with them pell-mell. And here succeeded a scene of war of which I have often conceived but never saw before. The hurry, fright, and confusion of the enemy was not unlike that which will be when the last trumpet shall sound. They endeavored to form in the streets, the heads of which we had previously the possession of with cannon and howitzers. These in the twinkling of an eye, cleared the streets. The backs of the houses were resorted to for shelter. These proved ineffectual. The musketry soon dislodged them. Finally, they were driven through the town into an open plain beyond, and here they formed in an instant. During the contest in the streets, measures were taken for putting an entire stop to their retreat by posting troops and cannon in such passes and roads as it was possible for them to get away by. The poor fellows, after they were formed on the plain, saw themselves completely surrounded. The only resource left was to force their way through numbers unknown to them. The Hessians lost part of their cannon in the town. They did not relish the project of forcing and were obliged to surrender upon the spot with all their artillery, six bass pieces, army colors, etc. A Colonel Rawl commanded, who was wounded there were few killed or wounded on either side after having marched off the prisoners and secured the cannon stores etc we returned to the place 9 miles distance where we had embarked providence seemed to have smiled upon every part of this enterprise great advantages may be gained from it if we take the proper steps at another post we have pushed over the river 2000 men today another body and tomorrow the whole army will follow It must give a sensible pleasure to every friend of the rights of man to think with how much intrepidity our people pushed the enemy and prevented their forming in the town. Henry Knox. Listen, that was a very simple uh, account of the battle. And I want to remind you, you you heard what was read. They crossed a river. This is in 230 years ago. They weren't using a ferry. They were rowing across a river in flat-bottom boats, a river which had huge chunks of ice in it, chunks of ice that were the the size of uh, sofas and cars. And uh, they had to row across it with their horses, with all the troops, with the cannons, And this is a river that has a current to it. It's flowing. They had to land at 2 in the morning. Now, they had not had any sleep in days, nor much food. Uh, They landed at 2 o'clock, and they began marching in the middle of a storm, snowing and hailing on them. All right? Let Let me make sure that you heard that. Snowing and hailing on them. They didn't have winter clothes. A great many of them had no shoes. Now, people make joke all the time about, uh, yeah, you know, i got to hear this again from my folks, the story of uh, walking to school in the snow. These guys were marching to battle in the snow and the hail. They fought this battle, and they took uh, almost 900 prisoners. There were no casualties. They killed a great deal of, uh, 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 notwithstanding what Knox wrote, they killed a great deal of the Hessians. Almost 100 killed and wounded with no casualties on the American side. No casualties in battle. There were two men who died. You know how they died? They froze to death. Two men who froze to death on the march. They stopped they were tired they stopped and they sat down and they froze to death those were the two that were killed in this battle listen I'm telling you we have no idea we have no idea of the hardships that that these men pushed them through so that they could secure the freedoms and liberties that you now enjoy with the press of a button on your remote, right? You don't have to march barefoot in the snow with just a pair of raggedy pants on and a blanket, not a shirt, just a blanket. You don't have to march for day after day through the snow so that you can attack a British regular outpost and fight them with uh, very little food, no pay, no medicine, to safeguard your freedoms. You don't have to do that because it was done for you. <clears throat> all right, they did that. They got all of the uh, prisoners back. Now <clears throat> it is. Uh, now it is after. The new year, and the guys are getting ready to walk off. They're getting ready to walk off and and leave, and uh, and they are they are asked to stay on, to please stay on, and uh, and fight. Now they were uh, offered a bounty, uh, I don't remember how much it was, if it was $6 uh, a man, but they were offered a bounty to stay on and uh, and to go into battle again, and this time to go back across the river and attack Princeton. <clears throat> this is a letter... Uh, <clears throat> uh, from a sergeant R, but well, let me first see that after the the stunning victory at Trenton, and it was a stunning victory. Number one, nobody nobody thought that at this time that Washington had it in him to make this happen. Almost everybody had given up on Washington, and uh, they didn't expect anything out of him. Now, it wasn't they had lost every battle, but they had lost quite a few battles up to this point, and uh, they had been forced time and time again to retreat and leave until they had been pushed back across the Delaware, and the only reason they had stopped is because winter had set on them, and uh, and the regulars had gone into winter quarters, and they would set these outposts up, and one of the outposts was Trenton, and they took Trenton. Now, <clears throat> after the victory at Trenton, Washington did go back across the Delaware into Pennsylvania, but a few days later, he recrossed the river. Meantime, General Cornwallis, who had been about to sail for England, uh, he was going home to see his wife. He'd been ordered back to the Jersey's with heavy reinforcements. When he reached Trenton on January 22nd, Cornwallis rejected the advice of his officers to attack Washington at once, observing that he could just as well bag the fox the next morning. Now, Washington and his men had fought a uh, retrograde action uh, back across the river not across the Delaware this was across uh, uh one of the tributaries feeding into the Delaware and uh, the regulars had been had tried to attack across the river across a bridge but his artillery had pretty much just ripped them to shreds firing round after round of grape and uh, just shredding them it's right till right at dark so at dark Instead of trying to make a a tricky attack in the dark, Cornwallis said, look, in the morning we will attack across the bridge, we'll attack across the, uh, the shallow fords where we can see them, and we will bag the fox. Now, supposedly several of his friends said, my lord, if you trust those people tonight, you will see nothing of them in the morning. All right, now, that's exactly what happened. Washington uh, had all of his men, he had all of them build up their campfires so that uh, so that it appeared that all of the men were still around their campfires and he had uh, people out there uh, with pickaxes and shovels banging them and digging to make it sound like he was strengthening his position. At the same time, he was withdrawing all of his men and making an end run down another road which uh, would uh, take him around the flanks of Cornwallis's troops and set him on the road to Princeton. <clears throat> so as soon as it got dark and uh, and he could begin the movement, then he did. All of his men were ordered to march in complete silence, the wagon wheels muffled and uh, and nobody moving. He had left just enough to men to keep all of the fires burning and to make noise and stuff. And uh, and then marched on to Princeton so that he could attack Princeton first thing in the morning. Uh All right, And this is an account from uh, Sergeant R with the Colonials. Three or four days after the victory at Trenton, the American Army recrossed the Delaware into New Jersey. At this time, our troops were in a destitute and deplorable condition. The horses attached to our cannon were without shoes, and when passing over the ice, they would slide in every direction and could only advance by the assistance Of the soldiers helping to push them, our men too, were without shoes or other comfortable clothing. And as traces of our march toward Princeton, the ground was literally marked with the blood of the soldiers' feet. Though my own feet did not bleed, they were so sore that their condition was little better. While we were at Trenton on the last of December, 1776, the time for which I and most of my regiment had enlisted expired. At this trying time, General Washington, having now but little handful of men, and many of them new recruits into which he could place but little confidence, ordered our regiment to be paraded and personally addressed us, urging that we should stay a month longer. He alluded to our recent victory at Trenton, told us that our services were greatly needed and that we could now do more for our country than we ever could at any future period and in the most affectionate manner entreated us to stay. The drums beat for volunteers, but not a man turned out. The soldiers, worn down with fatigue and privations, had their hearts fixed on home and the comforts of the domestic circle, and it was hard to forego the anticipated pleasures of the society of our dearest friends. The general wheeled his horse about, rode in front of the regiment, and addressed us again and said, My brave fellows, you have done all I ask you to do. And more than could be reasonably expected, but your country is at stake, your wives, your houses, and all that you hold dear. You have worn yourselves out with fatigues and hardships, but we know not how to spare you. If you will consent to stay only one month longer, you will render the service to the cause of liberty and to your country, which you probably never can do under any other circumstances. A few stepped forth, and their example was immediately followed by nearly all of who were fit for duty in the regiment, amounting to about 200 volunteers. About half of these volunteers were killed in the Battle of Princeton, or died of the smallpox, after. An officer inquired of the general if these men should be enrolled. He replied, no, men who will volunteer in such a case as this need no enrollment to keep them to their duty. Leaving our our fires kindled to deceive the enemy, we decamped that night and by a circuitous route took up our line of march for Princeton. General Mercer commanded the front guard, and about sunrise on the 3rd of January, 1777, reaching the summit of a hill near Princeton, we observed a light horseman looking towards us as we view an object when the sun shines directly in our faces. General Mercer, observing him, gave orders to the riflemen who were posted on the right to pick him off. Several made ready, but at that instant he wheeled about and was out of their reach. Soon after this, as we were descending a hill through an orchard, a party of the enemy who were entrenched behind a bank and fence rose up and fired on us. Their first shot passed over our heads, cutting the limbs of the trees under which we were standing. Our fire was most destructive. Their ranks grew thin, and the victory seemed nearly complete when the British were reinforced. Many of our brave men had fallen. We were unable to withstand such superior numbers of fresh troops. I soon heard General Mercer command in a tone of distress, Retreat! He was mortally wounded and died shortly after. I looked about for the main body of the army, which I could not discover. I discharged my musket at part of the enemy and ran for a piece of wood at a little distance where I thought I might shelter. At this moment... Washington appeared in front of the American army, riding towards those of us who were retreating, and he exclaimed, Parade with us, my brave fellows. There is but a handful of the enemy, and we will have them directly. I immediately joined the main body and marched over the ground again. The British were unable to resist this attack and retreated into the college, where they thought themselves safe. Our army was there in an instant, and cannon were planted before the door and after two or three discharges, a white flag appeared in the window, and the British surrendered. They were a haughty crabbed set of men as they fully exhibited while prisoners on their march to the country. In this battle, my pack, which was made fast by little leather strings, was shot from my back, and with it went what little clothing I had. I was, however, soon replaced by one which had belonged to a British officer and was well furnished. It was not mine, not mine long, for it was stolen shortly afterwards. Well, the last part was not so great, was it? But those kind of things happened. It wasn't that he was stealing. Uh, somebody stole money from him. They stole some clothes because I'm sure they needed them. <clears throat> All right, that was that was an account <clears throat> from uh, from the men. Who were there uh, at the battles of Trenton and Princeton? Like I said, the battle at uh, the Battle of Trenton and Princeton, I consider to be the turning point of the war.
0: It was
1: it was very rapidly on a descent. Uh, it wasn't completely destroyed, but I'm telling you, it was uh, it was headed for the end. At least the end of any. Uh, of anything major. Uh as Washington had planned, his his army could have uh, retreated uh across the mountains into the west and and continued to fight on in guerrilla style. But <clears throat> once a once uh any type of a movement loses its momentum, it's very hard uh, and usually takes a very long time to to get it going. And it was at that moment which the momentum was regained was regained folks heard about the victory and they joined in groves and uh, and from this point on the american revolutionary war uh turned in uh, the american favor all right uh we've got about uh, 60 seconds left i want to thank everybody uh I want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight, and uh, remember, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to have uh, uh, Dr. Uh, David Hackett Fisher back on. He's going to discuss uh, uh, this particular event in uh, the American Revolutionary War history from his book, uh, The uh, uh, Crossing of Delaware, and... uh, uh If you guys have anybody that you would like to see on, be sure and give me an email or call me on the phone or uh or send me a message on the forum all right and uh, thanks everybody in the chat room. thanks everybody who listens to the program. thanks everybody who's involved in the appleseed project and uh thanks each and every one of you guys all right you're the absolute best america has to offer be sure to tune in this next uh Thursday at 7 p.m. Central, and uh, we'll hope to see all of you then. Thank you, and good night, folks.